Welcome back to A People's History of the Old Republic, episode 1.7, Fandalorians of the Mandalorian, or The Baby Yoda Show. I'm Kelsey, that's Luke, and there's always a little bit of truth in legends. Just a quick reminder on the podcast business, we are still on our narrative hiatus while Luke readies for the bar exam. If you are expecting more of the narrative from Knights of the Old Republic 2, it is coming, but it is coming in March. As we've been doing, we are taking a look at other parts of the greater Star Wars narrative and pop culture that we wanted to tackle that haven't quite slotted in easily yet. Um, And today that means we are jumping ahead of the timeline when we are talking about something uh, ABY, we are talking about the Mandalorian, not just after the Battle of Yavin, but after the Battle of Endor. Um, so with that, uh, Luke, where do you want to start? Um, well, I, uh, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the, uh, I, don't, I, I really don't. I really don't know how to go into it, um, you know, just uh, just broadly. I guess uh, I guess the the one thing I could say that does tie into the narrative is that uh, Beskar, uh, the the steel that the Mandalorian is always after, at least in the early part of the uh, the early episodes of the show, he um, that is the. Uh, the Mandalorian steel that first showed up in Tales of the Jedi that they built Frieden Nad's tomb out of. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> Tom Veitch contributing yet another thing to uh, Star Wars. He gave the entire ending of uh, episode nine and got Beskar. I mean, there you go. It wasn't called Beskar until later, but yeah, it's the same thing. Well, that's one of the things I think, um, that is so interesting about the Mandalorian, and part of it, right, is that it has the space. It's it's eight episodes of a of a television show, so mm-hmm. it has some room to work in um, for how it uh, peppers in references. But um, what it does, right, there are lots of things that uh, that feel pulled from um, just all all sorts of weird places in canon um, mm-hmm. or. Um, not just weird, but like just across it, right? The greater lore of Star Wars is being pulled mm-hmm. from and picked from to build into this. Um, one of the things that stands out to me is the scene um, close to, if not at the very end, where uh, Moff Gideon has yeah. um, a... Is that a vibroblade? Is that, what kind of sword is that? It's this like glowing black sword that I know in the uh, KOTOR games is a kind of sword you can use um, that doesn't immediately break on contact with lightsabers. Yeah, that, so that's uh, that's the Darksaber, which is um, in... It's in um, the Clone Wars and Rebels, and uh, there's a lot about it in, in Rebels, and it came to be a symbol of... Uh, power with the Mandalorian people, um, though it was held by Darth Maul for a time. Um, um, so, like, basically, now whoever holds the sword holds the power on Mandalore. But um, after the events of season four of Rebels, which is like two BBY, um, the empire basically wipes out Mandalore. Like they, they wipe out all their colonies. They wipe out everything else. That's the, the purge that they talk about in the Mandalorian. Um, it's that purge whenever that happened. I don't know exactly when that was. Um, and I don't know that they've said specifically, but since Gideon, since Moff Gideon would have been the, the Moth who is uh, over, uh, the Mandalorian systems. He, he. I guess he 
took the took the dark saber as a uh, as a sign of power. That's it. and so that's really um, right because we are when we back in in the in the narrative stream right we are deep into um, a series of old republic wars that are sparked um by and fought uh with and around mandalorians and the the power of mandalorians and we see um they show up as characters in the narrative there are veterans of the mandalorian wars there is um candrus ordo is his mandalore and like we and starts rebuilding some of that power so there is like this whole huge narrative of it and then that time really um the mandalorian is really like the um well, it's not the first thing we've seen that's done a lot of depth in it, but it's definitely the thing that does it in what do Mandalorians look like um, concurrent with Empire. Um, and the answer, right, is in hiding. And uh, they're a they're a diasporatic people. Um, they are living in, what is it, covert is the term. Um, they, are, they have their bases in other cities that... Um, that they keep secret and they also um, mostly remain hidden, um, which is a very different face and a really interesting approach, I think, to how you handle them in canon um, and how you handle them in canon going forward, where we know in like the comics um, and KOTOR, they're, they're a huge presence. And then really like in the original trilogy and all that Vince poster, we see Mandalorian armor um, and it's established that Boba Fett is a clone. But I don't even know. I mean, this is this is perhaps a silly thing for me to be asking. But do you know if uh, Jango Fett is Mandalorian or is he just likes the armor? Um, so <laughs> I have trouble remembering exactly um, exactly um, how it goes, but. Um, Original, I think originally George Lucas didn't want him to be a Mandalorian. He wanted him to be a, um, like a person who kept up the, uh, like the culture, like the identity, but by wearing this armor. Um, and so in, in the, in the old legend stuff that obviously changed, but in the new, in the, in the new canon, um, Obi-Wan mentions it in, uh, the Clone Wars. And he mentions it to this guy who ends up being, uh, uh, you know, who ends up being evil or whatever, but the guy is like, Oh, the Fets aren't Mandalorians. And he says it. And I mean, like I, you know, on the one hand, I guess that kind of confirms that they're not, but at the same time, you know, like you could talk, you know, if you wanted to, if you wanted the Fets to be Mandalorians in the future, there are a lot of easy ways to talk around that, you know? So, I mean, right now, I guess they are, they technically aren't. And I mean, I don't, it doesn't really mean anything to me one way or the other, if they are, they aren't, but uh, I know some people feel ways about that. <laughs> Sure. Well, one of the things that's really interesting, I think, in how they tackle um, the character, the, the the titular Mandalorian in the show, is that we see um, his his childhood through flashback, um, and we see that he was uh, he was saved by Mandalorians and then became a Mandalorian. And um, when he talks about like. The gun mm-hmm. is his religion and the helmet is his religion and all that. Um, mm-hmm. It's because Mandalorian is a is uh, now, and we don't know how long this has been, right? We don't know if this is a post-diaspora thing, um, if it was something they were doing after events between the Mandalorian wars and, right? and, and uh, the Empire. There's, there's thousands of years mm-hmm. of canon history, but as presented in the show, Mandalorian is a a both a diasporatic people and a religion that people can be adopted into and raised into. Um, and so it's yeah. not a blood heritage necessarily. Yeah, and um, I think it. Uh, I think it. 
it tackles it in an interesting way because um, there aren't really any religions in Star Wars other than force religions. Like there are like, you know, religious traditions and things of that nature, but you know, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's seen as, it's almost seen as like a, a backwards thing to be, to, to, um, believe in like a, you know, a God or something like that. Um, in the Star Wars universe, not like in a bad way. It's just that they're like, we have the force, you know, we know what that is, but, um, uh, but it's interesting because now they put the Mandalorians in there and, you know, before it was like, are these people a society? Like, it's obvious that they're clans. Like, but how are these clans affiliated? And, you know, how do they operate? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, and then the show comes in and it, I think it does something interesting because it looks like what it does is, is that these Mandalorians who exist now, like, they're the remnant of the remnant of the remnant. Like there was a Mandalorian civilization and it was massive and they were a war machine and they are a group that is religious in a warrior. Like they have a warrior based religion. Um, and they like spread out from the galaxy because that was their religious mandate. And then they got beat by the Jedi and, you know, and then they fell under the empire and they were crushed again. And so now you're dealing with this like very, very, very tiny remnant. And I just think it's interesting because in rebels and, and the clone wars, those Mandalorians took their helmets off all the time. But now in the show, you know, it's like he doesn't take his helmet off. And obviously that's a plot device because they're building tension, whatever, you know. But the thing to me that's interesting about it is that they've uh, introduced like um they've they've introduced um like religious uh oh, shoot, what's the word? Um we're different. We're different. Like groups have there are different levels of religious, yeah, and, uh, um, sects. That, oh, or uh, God, I can't know that. Yes, or yes, they've they introduced religious orthodoxy, and I, despite not being able to think of the word, thank you, Kelsey. Um, I think that is incredibly interesting because I think there's a lot to, to do with obviously the Mandalorians, but also you could do with the Jedi and the Sith and other Force religions with orthodoxy and i think that that is one way like and it may be a good way to think about some jedi because you know like a uh, a jedi like mace windu is you know he sticks like he adheres very close to the code and he like you know is very strict about it so he's more orthodox than say obi-wan kenobi who you know you know um right you know, i mean like i'm I mean that's that's one way I think about it, and you know, it, you know, it's, not, it's nothing inherently good or bad about it. I just think it's interesting that they they introduced they introduced orthodoxy and uh, heterodoxy, and people were like, "This is this is insane." They've you know the people don't take off their helmets. It's like, okay, they are like a diasporatic remnant of another diaspora, like. They're the diaspora of the diaspora of the diaspora. Like at this point, they're like, if they even have, you know, religious texts or whatever, you know, they have, it's going to be like handed down. And it's like the one that they could save after, like just before the planet was nuked by the empire, you know, like people, you know, religious groups in our, in the real world do, you know, they act like that all the times, you know, they, spread out and some are, uh, you know, they hew closer to, uh, you know, to, to, to the text and some don't, you know? And I mean, that's, I think that's interesting. Other people think that's a plot hole. Uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I, I, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I don't go into this stuff trying to look for like problems in it, but you know, like, so. Well, I also think, you know, I, I don't know. 
one of the things that is really interesting, I think, um, about The Mandalorian and specifically like um, it's the first time really we see we have protagonists um, who are animated by a different kind of social structure. Um Right, like most of the universe is is, um, and it's all like all of it is really in relation to the Force, um, and either the Republic or the Empire, depending on which or if both are in play, both in play. But the Mandalorians really exist as a, as we see them here, they are a society that has survived and survives um, and self perpetuates, while only like interacting with the empire on like or or this the world around it on a transactional basis and they're not super interested or even related to the force um they and so mm -hmm. we can we can um assume right that this is one of the things where they the they the survivors scatter and they build up their faith on on the oral traditions they have they have the and the the symbols right they have the symbols of the faith they have their special forge their special metal we know the rituals of the crest yeah. and all these things um but by and large what they're doing is they are they are making a way to survive um first while empire is in power and then later um in the post imperial kind of messy collapse or with dealing with both the existence of republic um and imp Republic forces and Imperial remnants. And it's really mm -hmm. interesting. Um, and we think, right, because we've the only like I'm I'm struggling to think of the other moments of religion we have seen in um, in the canon. And like the only thing that comes close is like the Ewoks worshiping C-3PO as a god. Um, mm -hmm. And that is like it. It falls into the, the the tropes borrowed from adventure serials, right? Which have um, a, a a messy history attached to them, to say the least. But the mm -hmm. idea, right, that there is the religion that everyone knows, and that's the Force, and then there's the religion that these little people know in their little place, um, which is how the Ewoks were, yeah. and has a whole bucket of uh, colonialist baggage, which I'm going to acknowledge, and then set over in the mm -hmm. corner. Um, but really, like the Mandalorian thing is one where we see um, in in the show, we see this this uh, self perpetuating group, and then we also see um, when they encounter force a force user, and it's it's one. This is probably the most amount of screen time with the fewest people using the force. Um, I think Solo is really the only other thing which has a long stretch without any clear force users and that's much and that's a shorter runtime um and so really like the fact that no one has any idea exactly what the force is they don't have the vocabulary to describe it or to handle it um there's like they have distant stories about it right the mandalorian talks about sorcerers mm -hmm. Um, and so there's an oral yeah. tradition that there was the force was something used by people who caused his people harm, but there's nothing more than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a really interesting way to go about it because the Mandalorians historically, uh, hate the Jedi. They, they despise them for, you know, reasons that are probably, uh, both, very old and very complicated and also probably very valid because uh yeah if it's like if it's like what happened in in legends there the, the jedi are just going to nuke uh mandalore at some point um so it, it's interesting to see them be um th it's interesting to see them be like uh the the armor at the end she says you know she says that they're an enemy or or um the mandalorian says that they're an enemy and she says you know they're not they're not the enemy anymore you know maybe maybe a long time ago but you know this is this is different you know you 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 found the kid you have to take care of the kid and 
in order to take care of the kid, you have to find out what the fuck this, you know, what the fuck this thing can do. And you, wherever you have to go, that's where you have to go. And it's, it's interesting, you know, because even with that oral tradition, the Mandalorian's still like, Hey, I know these people aren't my friends. Right. It's really, it's really interesting because it's not the, the history and the greater depth of the universe is not um, the back. It's, 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 background at most in this it's not there's not any going through of like here's what happened it's like here's how people are in the world and so um it's even less right than people like talking about politics with like the english class or not the english class but like the the like one u.s history course they took in in like public school it's like there's less knowledge of the universe that they have but this is what they do have um and we see them uh with, with some knowledge of it but the fact that like um like force users seem like a like a myth like they are they are rather than the central figures being this like one family at a a galactic civil war it feels like something that is too fantastical for even this universe to hold and then they are forced to confront like what does it mean to have it. Um, one of the really interesting, I think, stylistic choices in The Mandalorian, right, is the way um, the even just like the title cards for the episodes, right, get super into um, into familiar, uh, especially familiar to a U.S. audience and Christian perspective, but very familiar like religious tropes, right? Like the child sin, savior, the sin uh mm-hmm. sanctuary it's very much in that space not all of them right like there's gunslinger and there's prisoner but they're still like they are very much conscious of mm-hmm. the kind of iconography they are bringing in yeah it's i mean there's there's a lot there and it's um it's <laughs> It's interesting the way that they've uh, the the way that they've chosen to go about it, and the way that they've uh, <clears throat> you know the way that they um, they had it uh, you know that they came through with it because you know originally they didn't the um, Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau didn't know if they were going to um, you know even you know have have Baby Yoda use the Force, and then you know Warner Herzog. I told them to uh, to stop being cowards. I believe that was a direct quote. And you know, it's, uh, so it's it's a tight it's a tight thing that you have to uh, a tight rope that you have to walk there because it, you know because there's just there's this uh, <laughs> there's always uh, you know like uh, like Filoni's been burned so many times doing you know. Uh, doing Clone Wars and then doing Rebels and, you know, people complaining about every little thing. And then, you know, he basically had to had to be talked into it by like this, uh, like literally grizzled, like direct <laughs> um, documentary director who's been through everything. And he's just like, no, you have to do it. You coward. You, like what the hell's wrong with you? Like you absolutely have to do it. You, you have to make it like the coolest, the biggest thing that's ever that that there is in the show because um because that's what star wars is it's it's about wonder and imagination and you know like on the one hand you've got the you've got this this gunslinger saving a child and then coming back for it and everything like that and then on the other hand you've you know you've got the wonder of this child stopping something that even like a hardened killer couldn't stop. And then, you know, <laughs> sucking up flames and, and, and saving them. You know, it's like, that's, that's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's awesome. Like, I love it. I just, I think it's, it's really funny the way this stuff gets introduced. Well, it's one of the things that makes it, I think, so distinct from um, the space where it plays in is that because it is star Wars and even if it's hewing and it hews pretty close to the like the the tropes and the constraints of westerns you also have in it 
Um, it's it's a western with a space wizard who is a child in it, and it's really like the first time we see maybe Yoda use the Force, and this is, I mean, it's it, it's the first time really the indication of what is it about this creature that is so um, that warrants all the trouble, and it's it's holding back a charging creature, um, and and tossing it aside right it's like it and we've seen in many times in star wars right people throw things with the force we've seen lifting of of big objects but none of the characters in that moment have seen it um this is a brand new experience for everyone except possibly uh baby yoda um and it's it works so well because suddenly there's this this outsized power um, and tension to every interaction there on out. Um, and it really, um, and they play with, right? They play with a lot of the interesting stuff in that space too, right? When they mentioned that the quarry is uh, 50 years old and then it turns out to be an infant and that works well for how do we understand Yoda as being, you know, hundreds of years old at the start of, um, of the whole Clone Wars and even older when we first see him in Empire Strikes Back. And it also does a really um, interesting thing too, where I think we did the math on Twitter the other day. Um, if Mandalorian takes place nine years after the Battle of Yavin, um, and if Baby Yoda is 50, then that means Baby Yoda predates um the Phantom Menace by what was it nine ten years? Yeah, he would have he would have predated it by um by uh so he would have been born in forty one, right? And the Phantom Menace was in thirty three. So yeah, he'd have been is there about uh about eight years before? Wait, no. Uh, ah, shit. My backwards math, 12 years, 12 years before. Right, which makes him also like very close yes. age to Darth Vader. No. Not not 12. God damn it, 8. Um, yeah, he, 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 so he's born in 41 and Anakin was born in 42 because Anakin was 9 in The Phantom Menace. Um, so yeah, he's, he's almost, he's almost as old as Anakin, which is, which is, you know, it's really interesting. So, what I want to take a moment to to awkwardly transition into talking about now is the idea of um, how the Mandalorian fits um, into the genre of a Western and what having a Western set within Star Wars like explicitly does um, for the canon. And I think um, the thing I think that's most um, interesting, and to me as someone who looks at how these stories are structured relative to events we see and big moments we see in like, especially the movies, but also in the other media, is that The Mandalorian is one of the very few Star Wars media, and I think the first since the canon reset, to really explicitly focus on that kind of um, immediate post-war period. Um, after the events of Return of the Jedi. Um, and there's a lot, and we'll get to it when you get to People's History of the New Republic, um, that was written in that space, talking about what happens after the Emperor is gone, right? That's where you get um, Thrawn as the character is first introduced in all those novels. We can touch on that, but I think um, with this really, like, the we have a, we're in the gap between um, Jedi and uh, Force Awakens, and this is the first thing, really, that spends any time dealing with the New Republic as a rising government, the Empire as still imperial fragments, and people just trying to get by in this world. Um, and this is the subtext, sort of, of the whole genre of Westerns that um, set, right, in the in the... American West, but they're also, um, it's 
it's usually more subtext than it is explicitly text, but they're usually set, um, and they're all set post-Civil War, and they're usually explicitly set with, like, a, with, with veteran protagonists who are now off doing, uh, gunslinging and crime or violence, um, for other means, um, and there's a lot, again, messy context in there, the, uh, um, what happened in the American West was, uh, by no means a peaceful um, and opted into thing for a lot of the people who were already there. Um, but it also plays really weird where you have the space of like, oh, well, it's ex-Confederates going west, and that's what the genre put on top of a story that was a whole lot more diverse and interesting of who went west and actually had those stories. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and so The Mandalorian is really like the closest thing we get to what does it look like to see a different system of order coming into being after Empire? Yeah, it's um I think I think one of the uh one of the interesting things they did was um they made the uh, New Republic simultaneously like a like a like a an entity that that people just kind of they snicker at when it uh when it gets brought up but um but then at the same time um in the one episode where uh where they were on the ship and the uh new republic officer the prison ship and then new republic officer set off uh his uh his life alert or whatever it was um, <laughs> I mean, then, the, you know, like they're all laughing at the New Republic. The New Republic's at three X-Wings in and just like, you know, <laughs> no questions. They just like <laughs> took out this entire space station, you know. So at the same time, it's it's funny um, because, I mean, obviously we know the, the New Republic isn't going to be around that long, even though it was around <laughs> like 11 years longer than the Empire. But, you know, um, it's... Uh, so, so it is it is interesting because they they just they have codes and they have guilds and things like that and um you know i think people kind of like automatically when they hear that they assume like a a union and i mean i guess in one sense it kind of is but at the same time it's it's also much more akin to like the uh the old guilds from um I think it's like feudal and mercantile um absolutely society. Jesus Christ, this went off in the wrong direction. Um <laughs> that's 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 so boring. I th- I almost fell asleep saying it. Um any anyway, um they they have these guilds, so the guilds have rules and then other than that it's just kind of like the, you know, out there the strongest or the most well connected or the one with the, you know, the biggest uh brigade of soldiers is is you know is the big dog and um so i think it's interesting to see that um you know they're playing on the fringes of the of the outer rim and you know i don't i don't know what they're going to do with the second season like where they're specifically going to go but i think it would be it'll be very interesting to see like if they have any um any connection to the new Republic other than it just being, you know, a, uh, a, you know, a reference that comes up every now and again, or if, if they're actually going to go in, go into that. And the Mandalorian is going to end up talking to like some Jedi or someone connected with the Jedi or something, you know, something like that and um, find out the stuff about baby Yoda. So yeah, I like, there's a lot there to to deal with with the new republic and i think the i think the gunslinger aspect is is interesting because it 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 takes the gunslinger thing and and i mean i'm not the most well versed in westerns by any stretch but um you know it takes it and it turns it on its head a little because you know one of the things that shows up a lot is the strong protector and the child but the protector learns that the child can be helpful in certain, you know, in certain ways or certain things like that. But in this case, it's not that the child can be helpful. It's that this child can literally, you know, do things in the physical world that the protector cannot do. And the protector would die 
you know, without the child being able to like lift a 10 ton <laughs> rhinoceros um, with its mind. So, you know, that's interesting. And if that's something that's extremely common in, uh, in Westerns, then, you know, just uh, everybody have your laugh at me and then we can all move on with life. <laughs> no, absolutely. Right. Cause it, it, the baby Yoda, right. Is obviously the, the most fundamentally star Wars part of it besides like the aesthetic and the empire, but like the, that there is a force user at the center of it um, is really mm-hmm. interesting. These are people, by and large, every other character um, we see, or in fact, I think every other character we see, has had no interaction with force users before, except possibly Moff Gideon. Um, but yeah. that like might be it. Like I don't um, even like the. Uh, why am I blanking on her name? The. Uh, the veteran rebel shark Armor. trooper. Oh, uh, Cara Dune. Cara Dune, yeah. Cara. Um, even she, like, we know we know um, that Jedi fought alongside they are in the Alliance, mm-hmm. right? Like, we know about Luke Skywalker, we know Leia's Force user, but there's, like, that's one, right? There's a chance he met one person who was a Force user, yeah. I don't think she mentions it. Um, and so it really... Yeah. Um, so you have to see how people in like their day-to-day life trying to get by in this like post imperial chaos. And it's clear that, right, like there's imperial remnants, right? It's a lot of warlordism. Um, and the through line we have, at least in screen canon from post this, and I haven't um, watched resistance. So uh, um, it's possible some of this was covered there though. I doubt it. But like what we really see is that um, after, the Empire, after the Emperor's death, or I guess first death now, um, there's Imperial remnants that still retain a ton of power and just aren't unified in the same system. And then there's a struggling Galactic Republic that eventually cannot withstand the um, the existence of independent warlords who have their own armies, their own suppliers, their own... Um, whole array of tools. And I think it's one of the really interesting connections too, if you're looking at like bounty hunters, right? We still have, um, one of the first things we learn about the Mandalorian, right? Is the, the kind of currency he is willing and unwilling to accept. Um, and that he's, we don't know. The, the, bounty- the, Mon, the Mon Calflan, um, it looks like a, uh, it looks like a, um, a silicone, uh, dab holder. And if you know what I'm talking about, great. If you don't, then don't worry about it. It just looks like a silicone dab holder. That's exactly what they look like. It's the only thing I can think of, except they're squishier looking, which was cool. Anyway, I'm sorry. No, it's great. It's great. But we also don't know, like, really, um, the first client he brings in, we don't really, like, particularly know a ton about it. We don't know. um, What we know of Bounty Hunters, right, is they have an internal guild, and they are used by people with money um which is by and large like what what happens right people set in in these anarchic systems you set prices on people you mm-hmm. get hired guns to to collect um yeah and and i think it's i, I think it's interesting that that they've done the that they they're going in the warlord direction because I mean, it makes sense given the nature of the empire and, and, you know, they would have these uh, subordinate soldiers under them. And it's also taking a page from uh, the old EU in some ways, because there was, you know, like the, uh, there was, I think, Zinge and like the Pentastar hierarchy, something like that. I don't know. There were a bunch of them. Those are... (laughs) You know, you can you can tell my uh, my knowledge of the uh, the New Republican legends is uh, spotty at best, um, but I, I think it's interesting that they've gone in that direction, and also that like even if um, you know they basically like they don't have a barter system because they obviously have coinage in some way, but at the same time, like it's it's like an open it seems like an open transaction because the uh the exchange rates and everything are so you know fluid 
because you know it he he ends up with you know he gets like 20 beskar bars or whatever that is and i mean that like the the other mandalorians act like that's more money than they've ever you know than they've ever seen in their lives but at the same time like earlier you know a few episodes earlier you know they like i'll pay you in moncal flan <laughs> it's a squishy coin thing you know like it's like so I, I mean i like that because it's it does set up the anarchy that you're talking about and 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 the warlords and and i mean the i like that i mean i like that gideon is there for like a little bit of crossover or whatever so you, can, you know he can come back and be you know a continuing foil for uh for the Mandalorian and for Baby Yoda, so it's um, yeah. And also, I like I like the way. Go ahead. Yeah. So one of the things also that we see, right? Because we see we're seeing people trying to survive in the universe where weapons are abundant, um, skill at arms is prevalent, though not universal, right? We get our um, our classic. Uh, seven samurai or in this case two bounty hunters um doing the whole like mm-hmm. defending a a simple farmer village thing um but it because it takes place in this in this post-war in this like it'd be a stretch to say reconstruction we don't actually know a ton about what the galactic republic is doing and it certainly seems like they failed to um outlaw slavery as the events of films go um <laughs> And so I don't want to put that on it, but it, but in this like post-war in environment, you have you get to see more civilian life in Mandalorian than you do in basically anything except like background scenes of um, really the prequel trilogy and like the opening of Force Awakens and A New Hope, and um, and in that you see, and I guess I'm also technically Rogue One, a lot of civilian openings, not a lot of civilian follow-through. Um, but what there's a there's a tweet and it was the guy deletes all of his tweets, but I'm, it's burned in my mind um, by the Kieran and Healy had this this line that of the three there are Star Wars the thing Star Wars gets most right about the future is that there will be three jobs there will be uh, criminal peasant and um, employed by the authoritarian military state um, and setting aside right. Star Wars, <laughs> But like that's what it does, right? And that's and that's all you see. Those are all the people really that you see in in this universe, right? There's the there's the um the sanctuary, the the farmer village, and that area is very much um like village and peasant life. And it's beset by bandits, and it's beset by bandits with like leftover hardware from the last war. Um and we see like the Jawas, right? And what are they? They are um, nomadic scavengers. Um, there's not really like anyone who's like settled. There's not anything that resembles the modern economy other than the parts of the modern economy that are already a super on the edge of like violence and crime. <laughs> um, and it's interesting to see that play out in that space. And one of the things that kept coming to mind too um, if you're looking at like this this unsettled conflict, you have warlords from old regimes and from new regimes and all this mess and people just trying to sort of get by. Um, and Westerns as a genre touch on this a lot, but it also matches sort of um, the stories we get um, from like what it was like to be in Mexico in the first part of the last century when the Mexican Revolution was like a decade of there were there were moments of very clear and intense war but there was a lot of it where like there were people riding into town with guns demanding food and it was very hard to say to ascribe that to an ideology or political purpose mm-hmm. other than maybe they had a warlord you could know yeah it does the uh i mean it obviously lends lends itself to the wild west thing and um it uh, it it gives a way to it gives a uh, a way to introduce um, a, another part of the timeline than what we've seen in the movies um, uh, or any other TV shows up to this point. 
Um, and so it, you know, you can just, you slot it in there and, um, you've got like, you've got these people, they've got their code and then you've got, you know, you know, the, the civilians or whoever that are just going to get shot. And, you know, I mean, like a lot of the people that show or a lot of the, uh, the individuals that show up in the show, you know, like in the first episode, I mean, uh, the, uh, Mandalorian and the IG 11, like take out like 35 Klaatuinians or whatever, <laughs> like just, just rough those like red shirts up. And then, but it's, but, um, but at the same time, it's, uh, you know, they, they, they couldn't just, they could, they couldn't just get out of like any situation, you know, with, without, uh, you know, just, they, they couldn't like shoot their way out of every situation or whatever. The Mandalorian had to get saved by, uh, his Mandalorian, um, counterparts when they came in and, you know, saved him and, a few of them look like the, the Brotherhood of Steel from uh, Fallout, and um, and then you know, I mean, obviously, it, he got they got saved by Baby Yoda a couple times. So, it was, you know, it's 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 a lot of uh, it's a lot of stuff where you know, I, I like that I like that they can't shoot their way out of everything, and a lot of it is you know dumb luck or just you know, other stuff that, the that can't really be prepared for. I forget who, who said this was someone you're talking to, um, put it as right. He does. It does. The Mandalorian does the very impressive job of making the protagonist, a super capable badass who we see get the shit kicked out of him time and time again. Um, yeah. I think it's really good. I think one of the uh, better ways too they show that um, they show that with him specifically, and then they show it when he goes out and gets help. Right, he builds the crew for the final mission, um, and that right too. Also, like one of the really interesting parts of the show is we see Cara Dune, and we don't get a ton of backstory on Cara Dune. We get probably what you would get in like a like a one off of a role playing session or something. You get the the basic right, the veteran of the. Rebel Alliance, and then the um, first wars after the uh, first wars of the New Republic, a shock trooper, a and then most interestingly, and this is revealed later, is an Alderanian um, that we have. Um, mm-hmm. So our two two of our main protagonists, and really three, if we're counting uh, Baby Yoda, are all are all people of diaspora, as far as we can tell, or people who are far from their people and may not even have a people to go back to, um, which makes them very yeah. interesting as travelers through that universe. Yeah. Because I mean, we don't know, we don't know anything about, about Yoda's species really, but I mean, you know, force users at that point are, 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 you know, badly scattered and uh, you know, Luke was trying to, to draw some of them at some point, but you know, it's, um, it's like uh they they you you have all these people and i mean they're really all um they you know they're really all uh, victims of of genocide in a way i mean uh order 66 was a genocide against you know it was, it was a religious genocide um it, you know against uh against the sect of force users and i mean any force user who would normally fall into that. I mean, they were basically looking to either exterminate them or use them as, uh, as muscle. Um, the Mandalorians were, you know, <laughs> purged, however they want to say it. And then obviously we know, we know what happened to Alderaan. So, you know, you get all these people and they have, they have reasons to, uh, to hate the empire reasons to, you know, dislike these people other than like, Oh, they're the bad guys that we know. And the bad guys that, that we always see there, you know, yes, there are these stormtroopers, but like, they're like stormtroopers wearing like dented up dirty armor, you know, like, and you could tell like, this is just the, the fading remnant of, you know, whatever they have left. And so, <clears throat> but these, these people, I mean, including uh, the Ugnot, who's, who's uh, Nick Nolte's character, whose name I've uh, forgotten. Um, 
cool cruel cool I don't know, <laughs> cool something like that um i mean he was he was enslaved for like 300 years um so like they they all have a reason to uh to hate the empire and then there's the ig11 who uh, you know just just had to kill some people it just felt right they do a really interesting job and there aren't it might be the droid lightest Star Wars. It's certainly, I mean, they're, they're, they're present, right? It's a part of the universe of Star Wars, right? As you have droids, but there's really... Well, I mean, they had the, uh, they had the R2 uh, gondola droid that, I mean, you know, that's, if nothing else, that was just like, that was just, that was fucking weird. And I loved it, you know, because it sprouted legs and I'm like, holy shit, this thing's going to kick the shit out of them. <laughs> it's just like, no, nah, I'm just going to, just going to battle the boat. No, the R2... Just, just pushing you down the river sticks. All right, we're good. Absolutely. I was just going to say, right? The gondolier on the river sticks, that's an R2 unit. Fantastic. The background droids are super good. Um, I love that they bought back yeah. the uh, pod the uh, pod droids, um, repair pit droids. That's oh. what it was. The pit droids mm-hmm. for repair um, in the little, in, the, in Amy Sedaris's hangar. Um, fantastic. Yeah, and I like the... I mean, like it, it sounds silly, but like it was, it was fun to see the Mandalorian like learn something. You know, like I mean, like he obviously has a very good reason for hating droids because they, you know, killed droids, killed you know his entire clan, his parents, everything like that. And but at the same time, you know, he 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 learns. I mean, in the end, he learns. You know, like they're not like they're they're not the they're not all the same and you know like just just like he how he can take off his mask you know mm-hmm. droids can you know change and i mean their change is, is different you know because it's programming and things like that but at the same time you know he learns that that you know not all droids are the enemy and i think it it you know it does a valuable lesson here because you know throughout all of this you've got the Mandalorian and baby Yoda and everything like this. And, um, and, and I mean, this guy just, he hates droids and then he has to completely rely on one. And, and he just, you know, he, he takes off his helmet. It's like, okay, yeah. Like I, you know, I learned how to, uh, <laughs> I learned how to get along and, and now, you know, everything's good. It's, it's really they handle it really well with like what with the the minimal way or the not the minimal but the way they use a couple of droids and reuse a couple of droids. Um, and one of the things too that's striking um, is the the background flashbacks of his childhood that the Mandalorian keeps going mm-hmm. to. We see right that's that's the separatist war right that's Mandalorians arrive yeah. um, to fight droids during. Um, they really the Clone War, right? But with those are those are yeah. separatist droids, and so his childhood is his childhood is during the Clone Wars, right? Um, and then Clone Wars, and he's a foundling during a Mandalorian foundling during the rise of the Empire and the Galactic Rebellion. Um, <clears throat> he's probably already bounty hunting during the Galactic Rebellion. If he's this is it's at nine ABY, and that's not that's not a ton of time. He's probably already doing some of that work then. Um, and so it's really like not just it's it's the nature of Star Wars by by putting so much history in like two or three generations, right? But you get characters who their life stages correlate to the or like they 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 live through all of these conflicts in some way, um, which is a really interesting space to play in. And what does it mean to have people who have like. And you do would you get a sort of cynical, detached amorality around violence if or around who is doing the violence or what the law is if you have seen three different governments by the time you are in your thirties? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't they don't <laughs> they don't uh they yeah, I mean they don't they don't have anything they don't have anything to go on. There and I mean I think one thing that uh, that the show does kind of well is it it gives us a better idea of the the size and scope of of the galaxy that we're dealing with because you know we think about technology and communication and receiving it you know as quickly as we do um, 
but they, you know, it's not really like that there, you know, everybody doesn't have uh, communicators that, uh, that keep them, that keep them in contact with, um, you know, with, with the internet or whatever, because that's just not how their, the communications work. And, you know, you've, you've got these people and you kind of have to wonder, like, even if the new Republic was like a big, huge thing and, uh, was a really big deal, like, would their lives, I mean, would their lives really be any meaningfully different? Like, I mean, eh, they, there might not be like as much of a black market or whatever, but at the same time, you know, even when the Galactic Republic was a big thing, Tatooine was still out there and, you know, it's just a slave, uh, crime extortion economy, you know? So it's like, (laughs) I guess in a way, you know, it just, goes to the ineffectiveness of uh of those uh yeah, well it's interesting too because institutions and one of the things right and so this is i think a good a good place for us to start start winding down um, but one of the things i think is really interesting is we get to see right the cantina again the moss eisley cantina um and we see that like what has what has changed in the moss eisley cantina since since luke walks into it um, and what is this post-war reality? And part of it is that there are droids now. There's a droid bartender and droids are welcome. Part of it is it's a lot emptier. Um, and that just might be, who knows why that is. It's not, there's no, it's not the happier yeah. place. It's not maybe the only hub for criminality. Or maybe it's just that there's been a lot of war and the population isn't quite there, whatever. And but you still like you revisit it, right? And you see that the the changes that have happened have been sort of in the in the population level and where the people are, and not really like the things we imagine or really talk about, right? When they joke up when the uh, um, when the imperial agent jokes about like or asks about what the revolution has gotten them, and because everything is still pretty shitty. Um, and my feeling upon like having having watched, I think it was even just after the first episode, but especially after the season, is that. The Mandalorian almost reads as if they made an entire movie out of the Mos Eisley Cantina scene, right? Where the whole arc of it is that it's a lot of people with their own, keeping to their own, but heavily armed, willing to to mix it up and throw down with violence. And then suddenly there's a force user in the middle of it that makes everything very strange. Yeah, it's, I mean... And it's it's a good like it's a good argument for you know it's a really good argument for like Star Wars as a backdrop and not Star Wars as just these movies that have taken place and it's just that you know seventy year period or whatever it's it's like a it's a whole motif and you know, the, the guns and the way it sounds and the way some of the stuff looks like you can tell you just like, okay, yeah, this is star Wars. And then, I mean, obviously you get the force and I mean, and that comes in and it just kind of reinforces the idea that like, you don't have to have like an exact, you don't have to have an exact character that you've had before or anything like that. You could just like drop these characters in. And as long as like you tell a good story and it um and it and it resonates in some meaningful way with people they're gonna like it because one of the th- one of the most interesting things to me about the Mandalorian is how much people who like despise Disney Star Wars stuff just really enjoy the Mandalorian and um I think uh to a to a, a a similar extent um the video game fallen order that that came out in november as well um and it so it's you know it's interesting that we have this you know these things that everybody that that star wars fans argue about and you know we'll argue about these movies until the day we die but but pretty much all star wars fans and even people who don't like star wars are like you know the mandalorian is good and even if it's not good, I'm going to watch because I, I like the baby Yoda. And I think in in one, I think that's it's very interesting to me because it 
it goes a long way to showing like, you know, even if you didn't, even if you're not happy with some of the stuff that's going on with the canon, like if you didn't like episode nine, there's a lot of other good stuff that that is happening. And I think that that's interesting. And I mean, the Mandalorian just, it just goes a long way to show that, you know, you take risks and you put people like uh, Filoni and, you know, Favre in charge and they, they do a good job because they, they understand the background and, and because they, they love, they love the, uh, they, they love the stories. And I mean, you know, I thought Taika Waititi did, um, did, did excellent work. I think he directed one or two episodes. He directed the concluding two and he voiced the yeah. IG robot. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so it's, uh, Deborah Chow, who's going to be doing the Kenobi series, she she directed, and then Filoni directed a couple. And um, I just I think it's uh, you know it's it's a good way to show that that you don't have to stick to the exact same type of directors, the exact same even point in the timeline, even though they haven't gone outside of this you know seventy or whatever year period they. They just went to a new point in it, but you know, there you stick it in there and you, you fill it with star Wars aliens and there's a Twi'lek and there's a Corrin and there's a, you know, whatever. And there's a guy with a gun and all right, it's star Wars, <laughs> you know, like, and I mean, even until the baby Yoda showed up, it was still star Wars because it looked and felt like star Wars. And I mean, yes, baby Yoda is a big deal and the character is cute as hell and all that. But I mean, I remember, before before i you know and before the the baby yoda had uh been shown and i was watching and i was like you know i'm feeling this i'm enjoying it but it but it also does feel like star wars and it sounds like star wars you know and it's like in a way you know i i understand that sounds weird but at the same time you know the blaster bolts sound away and it feels like a lived in universe and there's a core and there's this guy. And I mean, I don't know what the hell that alien is, but yeah, it looks like a star Wars alien to me. Um, and then you just throw in the forest and you're like, Oh yeah, this is what makes star Wars good. The like wonder and magic and people overcoming, you know, insane incalculable odds. I mean, through, you know, through sheer determination in some ways, but then also because of, you know, 13 inch tall green <laughs> dog thing <laughs> caught fire with its hands. You know, like, I mean, like, and if you, if you like star Wars and you don't like that, I don't understand. Like, it doesn't make sense to me how you watch something like that. And if you enjoy star Wars, how you don't really like that. Like, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, at all because i mean that's what star wars is it's like there's a little fucking green alien the size of a six-month-old baby that lifted a, a a starfighter out of a swamp with his mind you know like i mean that's literally what star wars is it's you know it's just yeah i mean so i was you know i don't i don't think either one of us were like huge on on episode nine um in a lot of ways but at the same time like you see something like this and it's like oh yeah, we we can do this when right when we have the right time, and we're not bringing in the director of uh, Batman versus Superman, um, or the writer of Batman versus Superman. Excuse me. Um, wow, yeah. Zack Snyder Star Wars movie. Jesus, that's oh my that's god, something no, to think about. no Snyder cut for Star Wars. Who knows? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think he hit on something that's really good. Um, in that, and I think that's essential. And the Mandalorian um, uh, proves it more um, than most any other Star Wars media, and I think more than any other Star Wars media post um, post Disney Star Wars, is that Star Wars is a setting. It's not like a set of. It's not a story. It's a setting, and that's why you have. Um, you can have a long canon in it. You can have um, events that happen that we've been talking about when we're doing the narrative um, in the old Republic, right? They're like 4,000 years before anything that we've seen in on TV or in movies recently, um, recently. And they still feel like 
of a piece because it's a universe. It's a it's a setting. We don't mm-hmm. have to be tied um, to the Skywalkers, and I think it gives me a lot of hope um, how well the Mandalorian was handled and how much it felt in that universe and like that universe was mm-hmm. was real and had unexplored nooks and crannies that might be worth looking into. Um, I think it really did a great job of reminding that the magic is is by far in the way it puts together the setting. And then you can use that setting to tell a range of quality of stories. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's a big universe and if I mean if they keep telling them the way that they're telling them, they're gonna tell ones that you like and ones that you don't like and you know Hopefully they, hopefully they tell more that you like than you, than you don't, you know? So, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I just kind of resigned to it at this point, you know, like, yep, that's, that's where we are, Star Wars. I don't have $4 billion, so I can't buy it and do what I want to with it. So, I'm at the mercy of these people. <laughs> As... As are we all, and yet we still make a path through it, despite the uh, distorting power of wealth in the universe, as touched upon by bounty hunters and also Canto Blight. I could extend this metaphor further, but I don't think we need to. Um, so I think that, <laughs> I think that covers what we have um, to say about about the Mandalorian. Big fans, um, there's, um, we'll probably reference it back as we touch upon other things. I. I I will spend the entire holiday special episode whispering life day is canon now because that becomes canon in Mandalorian, but we'll get to that. Um, I think that really covers what we have for you. I mean, I need, I need the guy that pours blue milk into his head to be canon. That's the guy who I need to be canon again. I don't, I'm not taking anything. I'm not taking anything less than that. I need, I need the, the, the head milk guy. Oh man! Well, maybe, maybe when, maybe we'll have a head milk in the High Republic. Who knows? Um, <laughs> well, I think that covers where we're at today. Thank you all um, for listening to this episode of a People's History of the Old Republic. Please rate, comment, and subscribe to Fotor on SoundCloud or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at FotorPod. You can email us at photorpodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions and comments and we will answer them on the show. If you have anything you want to see us address in an episode while we're on our narrative hiatus, please tweet or email us your ideas and suggestions. They have never had a better chance of making it onto the show. I'm AthertonKD on Twitter. I'm AtLooksAmazing on Twitter. Thank you again and... May the force be with you. I have spoken.